Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome back to our number two of Hardline, just two days before the election. And uh, so much to talk about. We'll take another deep dive this hour with Carl Calabrese, a political strategist, and uh, also Kevin Hardwick. Kevin will join us uh, at 1130. He is an Erie County legislator and professor at Canisius College. But first, it's great to have my friend and political strategist Carl Calabrese with us. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Brenda. Great to be on with you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, uh, you've been a political observer for a long time, Carl. You've held elective office. Uh, you're a strategist uh, with Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese. Have you ever seen anything like this? And are you, even you, suffering a little burnout from this kind of process this year? <laughs> uh, I'm a... I'm a recovering political junkie, so I don't, I don't <laughs> I kind of thrive on it. But I can understand how most normal people uh, would feel burned out and can't wait for Tuesday to come and go and we move on and, and get about our lives. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's different in many ways, and in other ways it's the same. I mean, it, from a polling standpoint and a positional standpoint, it's very, very similar to 2016 as we go into Election Day in terms of the polls and where the candidates stand. It's almost identical. It's kind of spooky, actually. Do you think a lot of it comes down to, as Tim Russert once famously said, Florida, Florida, Florida? Uh, talk about some of the key states, Carol. No, well, Florida is a key state, as is Ohio. But this year, the, the key of key states may be the Keystone State. That The Keystone State, right. Um, and most analysts say that Trump's path to the White House has to include Pennsylvania. Uh, I think he's got to win Florida, he's got to win North Carolina, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, and then he's got to win one of the three Midwest blue wall states, either Minnesota, Michigan, or Wisconsin. He's got to win one of those three. Uh, but if he strings those together, then he'll, he'll get to 270-plus. Carl, it's no secret that Michigan has been in the news a lot with uh, the attempted uh, plot to assassinate Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, Whitmer coming out to talk very strongly against President Trump and uh, all, all of the things that are happening in terms of violence and protests in many places, but uh, so many happening in Michigan. Do you think that what happened with uh, the arrest of these men who were allegedly uh, going to kidnap and possibly assassinate her, uh, will that affect the way Michigan voters vote? In other words, uh, would some red voters perhaps go blue? And how do you think that all shakes out? No, I, I don't think any red 
voter is going to go blue because of some radical fringe group uh, that you know is basically crazy. So I, I just don't see that transferring from a, a true red voter uh, to saying, well, I can't vote for Donald Trump now. I, I think, you know, all politics is local, and uh, although this was an issue, uh, I think people are, are really looking at what's going on in Michigan with its economy, with the draconian uh, restrictions the governor has put in place, uh, with the contradictions the governor has put in place, for example, saying people couldn't go out on their own boats, but yet uh, her husband uh, attempted to go out on his boat. Uh, that's there's a lot going on in Michigan. There's also a very hot U.S. Senate race in Michigan. Uh, incumbent Democrat Senator Peters against a, a uh, an up-and-coming Republican, a graduate of West Point, a, a veteran of the Army, a, a Apache helicopter pilot uh, whose name is last name is James. Uh, that race now is within the margin of error, and James has been uh, steadily eroding Peters' lead. And so you've got a very hot race soaking up a lot of attention in Michigan as well. I heard him interviewed. I heard James interviewed uh, recently uh, on one of our shows on WBN in the evening hours, and he was very impressive. So it's nice to see uh, on both sides of the aisle uh, younger people getting involved in the political process. 803-0930 is our number, and that's the same text number as well. If you'd like to chime in on the text board, 716-803-0930, and that's the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Let's head down the thruway to Rochester where John is on the line. Good morning, John. Hey, Brenda. Hey, Carl. You know, Welcome. media bias is just overwhelming. I, just on uh, the WBN station, ABC News, they, they build up this coronavirus, Chinese virus thing, uh, with the uh, increased uh, cases of it. But that's part of herd immunity and becoming immune to this thing. And the death rates are way down. It's, it's unbelievable that the media, like ABC News, goes after... Uh, this is a tactic they're using against Trump. It, it's unbelievable to me. And and uh, but I do have some good news. I heard this uh, on NPR the other morning. And uh, uh, in the United States, we cannot gambling is illegal in political in political uh, elections. Uh, but in England, it's legal. And the English are taking Trump in the betting line, 80 to 20, 20 percent. And uh, they called it also in 2016. So, hey, I think we're on our way, Carl. What do you think? <laughs> you know, if you, if you go on the Real Clear Politics website, uh, they actually, besides polls, uh, state polls, national polls, they also cover the Las Vegas betting odds. And you can <laughs> I'm, I'm checking it right now. It's, for most of the campaign, the, the money has been on Biden, 65% of the the bets going for Biden, 35 percent going for Trump. Um, but, you know, with a warning, a big warning, four years ago it was the same thing, 65 percent of the bets going for Hillary and 35 for Trump. And so betters uh, lost an awful lot of money four years ago. It's pretty close this year. It's 64 percent of the bets going to Biden, 35 percent to Trump. So uh, our betters uh, seem to be a little more, uh, a little more blue <laughs> in their betting. But as I said, if they, left a, they lost an awful lot of money four years ago. So it's an interesting metric. But, I, John, to get back to your, your main point, I, I agree with you, and, and most people do. The media is has ceased to become – they've ceased to be journalists. They've become advocates for a party. They've become advocates for a movement, the progressive left. Um, and it's so biased. It's so apparent that it, it's almost self-evident now. And now we see another phenomenon, and that is big social media giants joining in with that and actually – censoring 
opinions and op-ed pieces and people and groups. I mean, this is the stuff of the of the Communist Chinese Party. If you look at the controls the Communist Chinese Party has in China to block the internet and social media to prevent their people from hearing news around the world, it's it's very similar, and it's just maybe a step or two below, but it's headed in that direction. It's scary to me as an American who believes in the Constitution uh, to see what's happened to the media, which was supposed to be one of the checks against unrestrained government, and that is a free press, not being free anymore, but a partisan press, and now to add into it another layer of a very partisan social media that has the ability to stop people's communications to each other. That ought to be scary to every American, regardless of party. Thank you very much for the call, John. Let's go on to uh, Toronto this time, Carl, and we'll talk with Fred. Good morning, Fred. Yes, good morning. Um, I'm calling because of the caller you had previously who was blaming COVID on uh, President Trump. Um, it, it's a fact that back in the, he mentioned in December, in January, uh, Dr. Fauci, when first asked about COVID, said, don't worry about COVID. The flu is, 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 is the thing to worry about. This is going to be the worst year ever for the flu. Now, we don't hear any statistics about the flu. Basically, all deaths uh, uh, are being attributed to COVID. The reason being, of course, that it's a very prolific disease, very contagious. A lot of people are getting it. But uh, and so uh, when the deaths are being being uh, anybody dying with COVID is 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 uh, claimed to be dying from it. And uh, so this this is something that should definitely be looked at. Uh, also. The statistics on COVID often you'll find the 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 uh, the source is always the uh, Johns Hopkins University, and if you look at the uh, medical center, it's the Bloomberg Johns Hopkins Me- Medical Center, and the people who are paying for the research generally get the results that they seek, and in the case of the Bloomberg uh, Johns Hopkins Medical uh, Facility, uh, they certainly would like to see as much bad news coming out uh, with uh, for regarding covid because uh they don't you know bloomberg definitely does not want trump to win because of china he stands to make a tremendous amount of money if uh if uh, biden gets in because biden will be you know just what what the doctor orders regarding china so there's a couple of things that that should be uh, thought of here thank you for your point of view fred and by the way do you think uh it's a wise move to keep the border shut as long as it has been Absolutely not. Uh, wherever, wherever there's been, uh, look at Sweden, for example, and, and uh, which didn't lock down. Their results are no different from anywhere that is, is locked down. Uh, the, the the therapeutics. Look at President Trump. I mean, here's a man, 75 years old, just about 75 years old, gets, you know, definitely contracts COVID. Three days later, he's he's out and about, and, and his family got it. Um, you know, it, it, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because all of the media is against him. It's, it's uh, no, I'm, I'm definitely like, like to see the border reopen. I want the normalization would be the best thing. The vaccine is on the way and the th- therapeutics work. Thanks for calling in from Toronto, Fred. And, and to your point about the president, he certainly had the gold standard of care uh, at Walter Reed. Uh, and as you would expect for the president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world. But, but Carol, uh, do you want to comment on Fred's uh, take on things? He's got the things, Brenda. When that, uh, absolutely. But the, but the therapeutics that he received are available. They're, they're readily available. Well, well, Thank you, Fred. Right. Go ahead, Carol. And, um, 
you know, we've made great progress in treating this disease. The mortality rates are down 30 percent, um, and, and the therapeutics are better and getting better. And if we do get a vaccine, that's going to even add to it. Uh, so a lot of good things have happened, but a lot of mistakes were made. Let's be honest. Uh, and I think they would have been made by a Democrat administration as well as a Republican administration because nobody knew anything about this. There was no book on this disease on how to deal with it. I mean, you had Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown in February urging everybody to come down to Chinatown and participate in the parades. No, there's no problem here. Biden was doing the same thing. Uh, the governor was doing it. The, the mayor of New York City was because we did not have the information that later was to come, even Dr. Fauci. So. Trump did a lot of good things on this. He made some mistakes, but I think those mistakes would have been made by anybody dealing with something so new and so different. Uh, and you, it was kind of a trial by, uh, tr- you know, trial and error. You kind of. Uh, I don't. I don't disagree, Carol. I mean, how do you wrap your arms around something that is such a huge unknown and so deadly? So, uh, but I think that's why transparency is key. And I do have an issue with the president not, you know, what he said to Bob Woodward. I think. And I understand his rationale. He did not want to panic the American public. I get that. But I think for something like this, transparency is key. Let's go to Tanawanda. Juanita is on the line. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, Brenda and Mr. Calabrese. Good to hear both of you. My comment was just what you were going to bring up, Brenda, about Bob Woodward. I I think that was just uh, a a nasty situation that he put us in, uh, referring to Trump. Um, to not disclose it to the general public. And then we have to find out through, uh, you know, being broadcast on national TV. It just doesn't seem, um, just doesn't seem right. It, it made us very weary not to know and not to be able to protect ourselves. I, I'm just, Thank you very much. Car- uh, Carol, do you want to comment on Juanita's comments? Yeah, I would take a little different view with, with the two of you, I guess. Um, first of all, did... Did Winston Churchill express his deepest fears about a possible Nazi invasion to the British people? He probably had them. He was probably near panic when he saw the situation. But yet he gives, a, he gives that famous speech, I will fight them in the streets, we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll never surrender. Did, did um, Franklin Roosevelt give his biggest fears that he lost half of his Pacific fleet to Pearl Harbor? Did he go out and give the American people panic and wringing of hands? Just the opposite. So I can understand Trump saying we've got to, we've got to get – We've got to give out information, but we don't want people to panic. If it looks like I'm panicking, everybody will panic. A leader cannot show that kind of that kind of emotion in public. Otherwise, you you think we panic now and, and took you know and and did a did a raid on toilet paper? Can you imagine if people sensed that Trump was panicking? No, I I think I think he was walking a fine line, and his actions speak louder than words. You know, he shut down travel to to China. He shut down the economy. Think about that. He took a booming economy and put it into recession near depression overnight to combat this. If that doesn't speak volumes for how serious he took it, I don't know what would. Political strategist Carol Calabrese is with us, and our phone lines are ringing. And it's Bob from Cheektowaga next. Good morning, Bob. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. How much does the uh, anger of the voter uh, come into play with all of the leaks that came out of the White House, the impeachment over a phone call, the Mueller investigation, uh, the FISA warrants uh, over uh, golden showers? And then there is the class of people that are untouchable uh, and how deep it goes with the blackmail. And uh, Brenda, just one small comment. Uh, I remember our uh, governor lit up the World Trade Center uh, over an abortion bill. We once talked about uh, Passover. wonder if God is uh, 
saying something back to the world about what has been done. So I'll hang up and listen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Carol? Bert, I think the Trump's base, uh, what we've seen the last three, three and a half years, uh, infuriates them. Because you really have to say that now, given what we know, there was an attempt to undo the 2016 election by unelected bureaucrats in law enforcement and in the intelligence agencies of this country. It will go down, and I think is one of the darkest chapters in, in our history for federal law enforcement and federal uh, intelligence agencies. Uh, they tried to do it. They failed. They tried numerous times. They failed. And if you're a Trump voter, this sticks in the craw that there seems to be a double standard of justice in this country um, for people on the left versus people on the right. And you look at what was done wrong, falsifying documents, lying to the court, setting people up, using, uh, using absolute fraud documents that they knew were frauds to continue persecuting people. Nobody's gone to jail. Nobody's gone to jail, but Roger Stone is wasted away in jail, as Paul Manafort is. So if you're a Trump voter, this infuriates you. Um, certainly a motivation to get out and vote. There's no doubt in my mind that will be a factor for a lot of Trump voters. Wasn't Roger Stone pardoned, Carol? What's that? Wasn't Roger Stone pardoned? No. No. Okay. I, I thought I thought maybe I'm mistaken then. Um, but looking at this from a broad view, Carol, and let's take out Trump, Biden, Hillary. As a student of history, as you certainly are, and an astute political observer, can you say that anybody who is not in the political world, like Donald Trump, wasn't? Here's a man who is a businessman and a, uh, you know, a mogul and a TV celebrity. Is that just the way it works? If you're not in the political game, like many, many people are, can you count on the political machine discounting you and undercutting you? I mean, is, again, I'm not trying to personalize it with Trump. What I'm asking is, do the people in the political machine simply not want anybody who isn't in their political machine as well? In more cases than not, yes, because they're a threat. They're an unknown. Um, you know, just as the financial markets hate uncertainty, so the political markets and political parties. And, you know, if you're dealing with a, a, a Republican or Democrat governor who's been elected and has a record, same with a House member or a senator, the parties know what they're dealing with. They, they have relationships. But you get somebody come out of left field who, you know, is, is a non-player, rejects the rules, not only rejects the rules, but challenges all the rules as basically um, uh, they're, 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 the rules are rigged. And he comes in and he says, the system's rigged, the rules are rigged, everything is fixed, and I'm, I'm going to swing for the fences. Boy, if you're a political chairman of either party, that's got to scare the hell out of you. And so, yeah, it's always going to be difficult for the outsider to break in to the inside. And, uh, you know, Trump did it in 2016. You know, whether it could be done again in the future, I don't know. But anybody thinking of coming from the outside with the idea of being a disruptor, as Trump was, and either party is going to have a lot of resistance. Bernie Sanders ran into it in the Democrat Party. I mean, look. Right. I, that's what I'm saying. It's on both sides. Yeah. Biden lost the first three primaries. Everybody had him dead and buried politically. Right. All of a sudden, the party said, we cannot have Bernie Sanders as ticket leader. We got to stop this. And what happened? Overnight, Biden went from politically dead to front runner and nominee. So, yeah, it happens in both parties and it will continue to. Believe it or not, our, our half hour is up. Uh, Carol, I do want to point out, um, on Friday, July 10th, President Trump officially commuted Stone's federal prison sentence, uh, Roger Stone, and it, that was set to begin on July 14th. So I just want to clarify that. I, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I missed that. I can't believe I missed that. Oh, no problem. There's a lot to take in and a lot to do. All right, Carol, as always, uh, we really appreciate your time here on Hardline. I know that uh, we'll be uh, calling you the next uh, few days with your analysis of the election, and I really look forward to hearing your, uh, your astute comments, as always, as the days roll on. Thank you so much, as always, for being on with me. All right, next up, we will talk with uh, Kevin Hardwick, the Erie County legislator, the former host of the show, and, of course, a Canisius College professor. Kevin always brings a lot of insight into uh, our conversation. Much more to come right here on Hardline. And welcome back to the last half hour of Hardline. It's Brenda Alacy, uh, Joe Beamer off this weekend, but uh, happy to be with you as we navigate through these unusual times in more ways than one. And uh, we are in the stretch run, not only of the show today, but of the election season. And uh, happy to uh, always include Professor Kevin Hardwick with us uh, for his insight and takes on the political process. Kevin is also an Erie County legislator. Good morning, Kevin, and welcome. Thank you, Brenda. Uh, so, two days to go. Have you voted yet? Did you do early voting? I, I did. I voted in uh, the city of Tonawanda, City Hall, a couple, well, three days ago. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, about a 10-minute line, and it was, it was a fantastic experience. I mean, hats off to the Erie County Board of Elections, the way they've organized things. It was a smooth-running operation. And, you know, people were great, too. People in line were, you know, you could tell they were, they were happy to be there. I think I think some people just voted for the experience of standing in line, you know, and the, the camaraderie, if you will. We can all come together, Trump supporters, Biden supporters, Democrats, Republicans, whatever. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it, it, was, it was good, I think, and, and certainly the results throughout Erie County uh, show the same sort of thing. Yes, I had a similar experience Tuesday night standing out in, uh, you know, not the greatest of weather. It was cool and, and uh, rainy, but everybody cooperated, uh, maintained social distance, did their thing, and I found it to be a very inspiring experience. So, Kevin, two days away, uh, do you think we'll know who won the election uh, later next week? How long do you think it'll take for this to all shake out? Well, it depends on, uh, depends on early states like North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, whose results should be known election night, certainly by midnight, 1 a.m. We should have a good idea where those states are going. And again, state like Florida, you know, what it does always is it's neck and neck and you won't know for days. But if, say, North Carolina, uh, Biden comes out with uh, uh, a sizable lead or Georgia flips, as uh, Democrats certainly are hoping it will, uh, then I think uh, Biden's looking awfully good, uh, especially if he can pick up Michigan and Wisconsin, he would have it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people looking at the polls and again, uh, with a great deal of skepticism because of what happened four years ago, uh, thinking Wisconsin, Michigan, probably going to go for Biden. After that, he still needs to pick up a state. Uh, and that state could be an early one, uh, one that we know about early, like North Carolina or Georgia or Florida. A uh, state like Pennsylvania, we probably aren't going to know for a while unless it's a, well, we aren't going to know for a while because they aren't going to be opening their mail ballots on election night. We're going to have to wait at least a day or two for Pennsylvania. Kevin, speaking of Georgia, there's a heated race going on between the challenger John Ossoff and uh, Sonny Perdue, the incumbent. Do you think any of that will affect uh, the presidential race? Will it bring more people out? I, I, I think they'll impact each other. Certainly, mm -hmm. uh, certainly, um, you know, Purdue did not uh, 
did not score points when he backed out of the second debate after right. getting getting skewered in the first one. Um, so, yeah, I, I got to believe that Republicans are very worried, worried about losing that seat. Um, and I think I think that will draw a turnout on both sides. Let's hit the phone lines. We'll go down to South Buffalo and talk with Dave, who has been patiently waiting. Good morning, Dave. Hi. Uh, I just want to correct uh, Tony uh, about his claims that uh, Trump knew in, De- in December. This story was started by ABC News, and then it went to the New York Times. In December of uh, 2019, China reported an outbreak of pneumonia. No one, no one was reporting a pandemic in 2019. Now, I have the, uh, the whole timeline right here online. It says here, on December 21, China reports an outbreak of pneumonia. On January 1, uh, who sent people out there to check what uh, was going on? On January 4th, uh, who reported a cluster of pneumonia cases with no deaths? Again, no one's talking pandemic. It wasn't until uh, March 11th that um, who announced called this a pandemic. Now, uh, other people like Nancy Pelosi on January, uh, I'm sorry, February 24th, she was in Chinatown telling uh, telling people everything is fine. And um, on March 8th, uh, Anthony Fauci was on 60 Minutes, and he said, you don't know, you don't need to wear a mask. There you go. Right. And I think, as Carol pointed out, uh, who is a staunch supporter of the president, things were very fluid at that time and things were changing all the time. So my only question for you, Dave and Kevin, I'd love you to weigh in on this, too. There's two schools of thought here about the president's interview with Bob Woodward about knowing about the virus, but not wanting to panic the American people. And my feeling is, can you be transparent without, you know, inciting a lot of anxiety and panic? I, I would hope that the president could do that. Dave, do you feel like the president should have come forth a little sooner with his knowledge of this pandemic? No, I don't. Not at all, because I didn't. I don't believe there there is uh, there was that great of a threat at the time. Even Fauci said there wasn't a threat. He he, he said he said masks he said masks were basically useless. But he has changed his mind on that. Yes, he changed it. But there you go. So what are we talking about here? How are you? How how are people blaming Trump for this when when Fauci is lying to the American people? First he lied. He lied to them and says you don't need a mask. Now he says it's the most important thing in the world. Well, even Robert Redfield uh, on Trump's team said that a mask can be sometimes more effective than a vaccine. I mean, so I think it was a situation that was unfolding, and we were all learning things as this process went on. Um, I guess we can debate this forever, but uh, the point is we want to save lives. And, Kevin, what's your view about the way this was handled? Well, here's the thing. Early on, Dave is right, no one knew anything. I can remember being told, don't go out and buy a mask because we need them for the healthcare professionals. I mean, the, the thought was there'd be a run on masks like there was a run on toilet paper, and the hospitals wouldn't have them. So we were told don't buy masks. And eventually they came around to do some studies, and they said, yeah, mask works. And I think now I think everyone would admit, uh, Dave, I, is Dave still there? Would you agree with me that masks work? Maybe he's gone. Dave, but, no longer there. 
I, I can. Okay, he's, he's dropped off. I, I can't believe that anybody today would say that masks don't work. Again, I think early on there were a lot of mistakes made by a lot of people, and I'm not going to pile on and say President Trump should have shut down, you know, Europe like he tried to do with China and, and, and all of that. You know, that was early on, and, and we were all scrambling. We didn't understand this disease, and that's right. Our therapeutics are a lot better now, and, and people going into the hospital uh, are not going to, you know, a quarter of them are not going to die like they were six months ago. Uh, you know, maybe 8 or 9% are going to die or whatever the figure is today that actually go to a hospital. However, you know, what I can hold against Trump is everything he's done since. I mean, just this past week, it was, was it two, three days ago, at one of his rallies, he called out Laura Ingram for wearing a mask. He said, look at her over there, wearing a mask, his big mask. And she said, she's trying to be politically correct. Now, what message does that send? Um, right. I thought that was really interesting, Kevin. That's ridiculous. Um, and so, you, you know, now we know about this disease, and uh, we don't know everything, but we're getting there. Uh, but we do know that masks work. Um, and he's, you know, he's sending signals. And, and, you know, the thing with Laura Ingram was only the last thing uh, in, in a long line of, you know, he says one thing and, and says, yeah, yeah, go wear a mask. We, we pass him out. But then he ridicules reporters or he ridicules Joe Biden for wearing a huge mask. That's not what a leader does in a time like this when people are dying because we're not wearing masks. Uh, Kevin, some of the consequences of this uh, pandemic, uh, there are so many significant ones, but uh, I read a statistic that I thought was staggering from uh, a Harvard report that said 110,000 businesses have been shut down from March to May. And I'm thinking, how in God's name can any of these businesses recover? I mean, there was probably just a fraction of them that can recover. Uh, economically, if the president does win, do you think he can try to get this country back on track? And certainly if Joe Biden wins, how will he be able to try to, uh, you know, reignite the, uh, the economy and the American engine of commerce? Well, 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 here's the thing. The economy is not going to get back on track. We're not going to be able to save these businesses. More may go under if we have to shut down again. We, we don't, you know, we can't save the economy until we protect ourselves from the virus, the way that some other countries have done. I mean, you look at South Korea, you look at New Zealand, you look at Taiwan, uh, you look at a lot of countries around the world. I was, you know, growing up, I was taught that we were number one, that we had superior, every, superior everything. America was exceptional. We were top in the world. We had the top minds. There was nothing we couldn't do. And yet these other countries who we oftentimes, you know, uh, look as look down on them as, you know, being beneath us, uh, they've tackled this and their businesses are doing much better than ours because they've gotten serious about the virus. I got to believe that America, if America put its mind to it with the right leadership, we could uh, defeat this virus. And if we do that, um, you know, businesses uh we'll we'll get back to business uh and you know in the process unfortunately we will have uh, lost uh quite a few uh but uh, but the only way to get back is to to deal with the virus now give credit where credit is due one of the things that i like that trump has done is in his operation warp speed thing he's producing or he's having produced uh he's spending millions and millions of our dollars to produce 
um, vials of the vaccines before they're approved. Um, and some would say, well, that's very wasteful. I mean, if the uh, FDA comes down and says, no, this is ineffective, then we've spent millions of dollars on, you know, medicine that we've got we've to throw away. Uh, but I would argue that it's worth the risk, uh, you know, millions and millions to save trillions and trillions. Uh, so I would, I would, if I were them, I would do what they're doing. Take the top three vaccines that look the most promising, that seem that they're going to get the earliest approval, and get them ready. And I would go a step further. I'd get one to, you know, I'd, get, I'd love it if the vials were sitting at Walgreens in the Tonawanda where I got my flu shot. And the minute they say go, I'm, I'm in line. Um, and that's how, you know, that's how we, uh, we, we beat this thing. And everything points to that's not far off, relatively speaking. You know, within a few months, maybe even weeks, we could be there. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I really salute the president for fast-tracking that, too, Kevin. I, it's a great point. But, uh, let's go back to the phone lines. On a cell phone, it's Pat. Hello, Pat. Welcome to Hardline. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Hey, you know, Certainly. I'm not... Uh, I'm not as benevolent as Kevin. I'd like to pile on so that the facts and the record is clear. Mick Mulvaney, first, the president of the United States only closed down travel to China on the 31st of January, after 40 other countries had already done so. Uh, he didn't close down travel from China. 600,000 people entered the United States, uh, albeit American citizens, without being tested or traced. Mick Mulvaney, on the same day they rec- uh, it was recommended that they shut down travel to China, recommended they shut down travel from Europe. And Steve Mnuchin, uh, 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 Steve, uh, 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 I can't think of his last name, the Treasury Secretary. Uh, Miller? Say, uh, say, no, not Mnuchin. Mnuchin, yeah, uh, said, uh, no, it would wreck the economy. I want to point out that the very strain of the flu uh, this, uh, that we have here now, this virus, is the European strain. I don't say this. Uh, talk show hosts don't say it. Science says that we have the European version of this flu. So perhaps if the president would have shut down travel from Europe, like was recommended in his last official act as uh, chief of staff uh, by Mick Mulvaney, uh, that might have done it. But certainly on February 14th, when he spoke to Bob Woodward and said it was uh, five times deadlier than the flu, that should have been a warning. So when people give this guy a pass and say, it's not until March we knew this or not until March we knew that, that's nonsense. And I'm a conservative. It pains me to say that I will vote for Joe Biden, not because I believe in Joe Biden's policies, but because I believe that Donald Trump has to be removed. Well, isn't that an interesting take, Kevin, that somebody uh, who is a, a conservative would feel that way? And, and, it, and again, it reflects to me how difficult this whole process has been. And I know the president talks repeatedly, as do uh, you know, Pence and his other supporters and, and people in his corner, about how he shut it down. But one thing that uh, Andrew Cuomo talked about, how he shut it down from China, was how there was uh, that influx of flu from Europe. And it seems like that's really been more of an afterthought, Kevin. Have you felt that way, too, about the, the flu or, excuse me, the, the pandemic coming in from Europe has been somewhat overlooked? Well, well, yeah, but again, it gets back to my earlier point. And I don't disagree with anything that Pat said. Um, and I, I thank him for giving me credit for my benevolence towards Trump. <laughs> Just saying there was a lot of confusion back then. 
And uh, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made in New York State. Mistakes were made in New York City. Mistakes were made by Nancy Pelosi. Mistakes were made by everybody. Um, but now that we know, and we're you know we're within you know a stone's throw of this vaccine, let's just all stay alive until the vaccine is available. And the way you said is the masks. And again, when when the president goes out to one of his rallies, and you know calls out a fox. A fox of all people, Laura Ingram, uh, anchor, and and you know for wearing a mask and says she's trying to be politically in- incorrect. That doesn't send the right signal to the American public, you know, poo-pooing this whole mask wearing because that's what's going to get us through another month, another two months, three months, four months, whatever it takes to get that vaccine, uh, you know, into us. Um, yes, that's where leadership. And again, Kevin, just a, a couple of minutes left, um, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to get your opinion on uh, how you think things will look with the uh, hotly contested race yet again between Chris Jacobs and Nate McMurray for the NY27 seat. I have no idea. I really don't. You know, that's the most Republican district, congressional district in New York State. It should be slam dunk. Uh, for Jacobs. But I think McMurray uh, is running a great TV campaign. I think he's got the best TV ads out there that I've seen. Certainly the last one he's got where where union leaders talk to him, you know, over his shoulder, cuts through the clutter, it gets your attention. Um, and I, I, I'm impressed with that. But I'm, I'm not, that's not my district. I'm in Brian Higgins' district. So I don't know what mail people are getting. I don't know what phone calls people are getting, you know, and I, I just don't know. Um, nothing would surprise me there. Uh, it, yeah. It's a strange year. You know, I mean, the, the, the long lines and the big turnout, whether it's in Erie County or, or, or North Carolina uh, or Georgia or wherever, um, you know, are, are heartening for Democrats uh, because Democrats lose when people don't turn out. Um, and it seems that people are turning out this year. Uh, so I think that's a good sign for Democrats. You know, whether it'll you know, uh, pan out on, uh, on Tuesday night, we'll see. Um, the other thing that you've got to worry about that we haven't talked about, of course, are the looming court cases. Uh, and there are a ton of them. Uh, about uh, various ballots. There's one down in Texas about the drive-in ballots where they, they drop off the, uh, the, the ballots at the curbside, uh, and that's being challenged. You know, So you've got thousands of ballots there that may be invalidated by a court case. Uh, there's, there's no telling what's going to happen. It's going to uh, be one for the history books, obviously. Well, as Van Miller used to say, fasten your seatbelt. So, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me this morning on Hardline. We look forward to talking with you uh, as the weeks unfold. And uh, uh, my thanks to Scott Miller, too, for taking care of all the calls back at the station and uh, making sure the show moves along seamlessly. And I appreciate all your calls and texts as well. I'm Brenda Alacy, right here on Hardline, only on News Radio 930 WBEN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.